This is the Aspire Podcast. The Aspire Podcast is all about sharing the stories of those who have aspired into full-time Christian ministry. As we share their stories, we hope to encourage, excite, and equip you to consider what it would mean to aspire towards ministry. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Aspire Podcast. Three quick things before we get into our next episode. The first of which is, if you've enjoyed this podcast thus far, it'd really help Patty and I if you actually shared it with a friend who you think may be interested in exploring ministry further or the themes of this podcast, whether you shoot them a text, um, whether you message them through Facebook, give them a call, let your church community know, that would be awesome in growing our community. The second thing connected to that is, we'd love for you to join the Aspire Podcast Community Facebook group. So this is a group on Facebook designed to pretty much talk about the podcast and gather heaps of people who are interested in going into ministry so that you can ask questions and also see um, behind the scenes content about the production of the podcast. Which leads to the final thing, and that is if you do have a question, Patty and I are going to host a Q&A episode at the end of season one. So if you've got a question, write it down, jot it down and put it into that Aspire podcast community group and we'll answer it then. that said, here's our conversation with Anna Beaver. Today we welcome Anna Beaver. Anna is currently a staff worker for the Sydney University Evangelical Union. Uh, Anna uh, spent some time studying as an undergrad, spent some time working as a teacher, and then came back and did a two-year ministry apprenticeship with us in the EU before moving into her full-time role this year as a campus evangelist. Anna's currently completing a theological degree at uh, SMBC, the Sydney Missionary and Bible College, where she studies uh, along with others, but particularly with her husband, James. And together, they're hoping to do overseas missions sometime in the future. As I'm sure you're about to find out, Anna is an energetic and passionate evangelist who has been an inspiration to many students. So Anna, welcome to the podcast. And do you want to start perhaps by telling us a little bit about your journey or your decision to head into ministry? Hi, thank you. That was a nice little intro. Um, uh, My journey into ministry. I became a Christian in high school uh, at a conference and I got back from the conference and I started telling my friends about what I'd learned about the conference. But because I'd just become Christian, I didn't really know how to share the gospel. And they did it, uh, the conference was on Genesis and Revelation. The theme was Paradise Lost. And they talked about the trees. I know this is the long-winded answer, but it's context. They told us about the trees in Genesis and the trees in in Revelation. So I went back to school and I was like, guys, there's like a tree and then in heaven there's a tree and Jesus died on a tree and like, it's like a cure for cancer. You need to know Jesus. <laughs> my friends were like, oh, my gosh. We think you've gone to the Blue Mountains and you've been brainwashed. And I was like, mm, that's actually quite a likely conclusion. Um, and so I gave up being a Christian after one day and then actually asked my my then friends over that week, asked me all these tricky questions of like, well, like, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? All the normal kind of questions. And I didn't go back to church because I was like, oh, I shouldn't really keep getting brainwashed. Anyway, then my youth group leader reached out 
And instead of saying, well, I told them about the trees and that didn't go down well, I was like, well, like, what do you think about all these hard questions I got asked? And so in some ways I started doing ministry then because she shared these amazing answers from the Bible that were so convincing to me that I wanted Christianity to be true, but then actually knowing it was really true from what the Bible said, I then yo-yoed back and forth to my friends at school and was sharing the gospel with them and had boldness that I don't have now. I started a Christian group at school and invited the whole yeah, school wow. to come and had no idea what I was doing. How was that received in the school, you starting a Christian group and inviting the whole school to come? How did that go down? Um, there was a teacher there that was like pretty happy to support me and she was the only Christian teacher at the school and so she was like, all right, if you're keen, let's go. And I think we had pizza at the first one. I think she paid for the pizza. Now I look back being like, how did I get pizza there? <laughs> um, and so she just let me run it fully autonomously, which I feel like as, after I was a teacher, I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I'd do that. That was like a pretty relaxed <laughs> model for her. And someone at church taught me how to do two ways to live, which was like an evangelism uh, sharing strategy. And so I just did each box of that on repeat in these school groups. And that's all I did. So that was my like start to ministry in some ways while I was at school. I thought you were about to say when you said two ways to live based off your tree analogy that you had <laughs> learnt two trees to choose from or something. <laughs> that's a great idea for a future evangelist. <laughs> um, then I left school and I was a brand new Christian and I was like, I need some kind of... Um, foundation if this is the faith that I'm going to have and my friends like had grown up in church and so when there was something about King David they knew who that was but I just had zero context and so decided to do a gap year where I did some like part-time Bible college part-time work I worked as in a like doing scripture at a school and worked at a preschool just to like grow up and become an adult a bit and they were like my first Christian friends at the Bible college where I kind of was in community. I was learning about the Bible. I learned about biblical theology. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and there was people that were in ministry there, but there was no preferred outcome of that. And so I started thinking kind of like, oh, like how cool would this be to like kind of do stuff like getting to talk to people about Jesus all the time. But I didn't even really fully know that that was a job I'd been to a CMS summer school that same year and so I was like maybe I'll be like a missionary but I had zero like I didn't really think that then then I was like oh I don't know what I'll do I'll become a primary school teacher because heaps of Christians do that <laughs> and so <laughs> study primary education was not that passionate really about primary education as a area but as I studied it I was like this is amazing. I think I have a really easy ability to get excited about whatever I'm learning about. And so really enjoyed the degree, learned so much. And I think through that developed a passion to educate kids. And while I was doing that, I was part of the EU. And that was like the most amazing thing for me because it. I had a Howie that kept checking in with me and saying like, oh, like, you know, who are you sharing Jesus with? And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, no one. I'm, like, trying to make friends and, like, not doing that very well and um, figuring out how uni works. So um, and then she just kept checking in, just being like, well, like, who are you sharing Jesus with? Anyway, that gave me heaps and heaps and heaps of opportunities to share the gospel 
with people at uni and I saw people come to faith and I just was like this I just want to do this all the time so sometimes neglected my degree just because I was like I just want to read the bible with people and do walk up and meet people and have interesting discussions and read books with people and stuff like that so love that and then in my last year Patty met with me and was like oh so like have you considered ministry I was like no I'm gonna be a primary school teacher like this is the plan he was like oh well like you should think about it and I was like, hmm, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I'm like, off I go to be a teacher. And he was like, well, like, why don't you teach for a little while and then think about coming back as a Howie? And that was like not even on my radar. Like I had some of the best Howies who I love so much, but I was like, oh, that's like, I just, I, when you're doing a degree and you think that that's what you're starting to become, that's what you kind of think you'll do. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I could like think about that. But I think I need at least three years, like one year to get used to full-time work, another year because you can't make a decision based off a year and like a third year because if the second year is bad, then just like give it another go (laughs) anyway. And then I'll come back and say, Howie. And Patty was like, "Mm, you know, like the world itself could really suck you in and I was like, look, I'm becoming a teacher. Like, I'm not going into this career to, like, have lots of money or, like, to be promoted or anything. And so I was like, that's probably not going to happen. And I was like, oh, you know, I think this could be an interesting plan. Three years is a lot of time. So that was the very end of uni. Um, and then went into the workplace, got a maternity leave job in my first year and was a teacher for my first year. And had really big expectations of how hard primary teaching was going to be in my first year. And so um, I actually loved my first year. It was really fun. I met really good people. I moved to a church plant and got to invite lots of people I worked with to church. And I was like, oh, this is like cool because I get to like share the gospel. It was a Christian school. And so there was a chaplain there who ran crew and I like would be excited to like invite my class to that. I mean, they would come because they thought I was cool and that was like so exciting. I was like, okay, this is great. Then I moved to school. I, that was a mat leave position. So I had to find a new job at the end of that year and moved to another school. And that was a hard year, my second year of school. And I, it was a trickier workplace. It was further away from home. I moved house and it was a Christian school, but very loosely and didn't necessarily uh, share the gospel in chapels and things. And so I really wanted to share the gospel with people that I worked with, but it was just a harder context to do that. And unlike my old school, people would like, the bell would go at 3.30 and people would go home. So you had less staff interaction. And I found it tricky to share the gospel with um, people at school. And Patty kept calling me and I sometimes called him to be like, hey, like, you know, I've got this job offer. What do you think? I've got like two jo- two of these schools and this school's like this and this other school's like this. And I don't know why I, like, thought Patty would have, like, life advice for me, but I was like, yeah, you might, like, have some opinion on what school I should work at. And so I think that was, like, such a valuable role that staff role staff workers played in my life of just, like, go-to people that I could just ask questions to. And so, and Patty, like, graciously answered those questions. Since I've become a staff worker, he told me that one of those calls was, like, very inappropriately late at night. They're like, hey, so, like, this school offered me a job, which I felt feel awful about now. <laughs> but at the time it was, like, really valuable just having people, yeah, in, speak into my life and life decisions and help me think Christianly about the work decisions I was making. 
What were, uh, thanks, Anna, that's really, really, really helpful. Really. What were some of the perhaps difficulties and challenges in leaving your teaching job to make the decision to take a ministry job? Well, then in my second year, I had a really hard year at work and James had just proposed, so I was about to get married at the end of the year. So I was used to, like ready to make a big life-changing decision and Patty and I were catching up semi-regularly and was chatting to him about things and then that second year was really difficult. So I called Patty and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to be a Howie now. Like this work thing, it's hard. Like let's just like, you know, fast forward the plan. And I think that was a really interesting conversation. I think he came over for dinner at that point because you said to me, hey, look, maybe it's actually wiser for you to stay at school and do another year at school um, because you're getting married. It's a big life change. You've been in this one place for a year. You shouldn't leave your job because you don't like your job just to do ministry. And that was the first time I was like, wow, like you really don't have an agenda just to like make me a Howie. Like you actually just want to give me wise life advice. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I'll stay in this job that I like find really difficult. Just on that, Anna, I know a lot of students who are doing degrees and they're studying something that they're kind of passionate about, but they kind of know they want to do ministry after that. And when they get in their job, like their teaching job, whatnot, they they like it, they enjoy it, but they've sort of got an eye on the future. And so I know some people who find it really hard to sort of stay present and enjoy their job or enjoy their studies. How did you overcome that obstacle of really not really enjoying teaching at times because you sort of knew you wanted to do something else? Yeah, I think at that point I didn't necessarily want to do ministry. I think I thought I wanted to do ministry, but I just really found the job hard. And so Patty's advice was 100% right at that time in being like, actually, don't quit your job because you don't like your job. If you want to quit your job, you can quit your job, but go do something else. Don't do ministry. And so then I stayed at that school. I actually got a permanent job at that school, which is like every teacher's dream. And so I was like, oh, I'm supposed to like you know, this is supposed to be like the end goal. Like, and so had another job in, had another year in that job. And I think that year I was like, right, I'm definitely staying here for another year. I've committed for permanently. So there's no kind of reason to leave. So for me, it was just a mindset turning around thing. Like we did lots of positive psych stuff at school, which initially I thought, oh, it's a bit woo woo. But they did like lots of um, professional development about gratitude. And so I literally wrote down in my like teaching diary something I was thankful about the day. And that was kind of a prayer for me of just like, okay, what was something I can thank God for about today? And about like after my first term in that third year of teaching, I was like, this is the best job in the world. Like, and I had like different like team structures change and I was given more responsibility I was given like a little promotion and I was like thriving in that and so that's when I was really reminded of Patty's warning when I was at uni of you get so sucked into the world because I was like now I'm like this is the best so my third year and then it was so funny because I caught up with Patty in July of that year and he was like, so are you still thinking about being a Howie at the end of this year? And I was like, no. Nah. I was like, this job's the greatest, which would have been hard for him because I think he wanted me to be a Howie. That, and that was the original kind of uni plan that I kind of was like, oh, this is like such a great, such a great job. I'm having so much fun. Like there's good things about it. And also money was a massive thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so Patty kind of proposed, hey, like, you know, that was the original plan do you have like reasons to change or stick with it? I can't really remember what you said then. But 
I remember being like, gosh, like now I'm in this job where I'm having fun. I'm earning like silly amounts of money. Like you go into teaching thinking, oh, you won't earn that much money. And then you get a job where you, they like, you go up a few different levels and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting like a crazy amount of money to do this job. And I was talking to a friend who was at EU with me as well and she had already been a Howie. She was a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, I met up with Patty again. He was like, oh, have you thought about being a Howie? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm now really lucky work so I don't want to leave. I think, you know, I would have been keen to leave last year but I had good reasons to stay. And she was like, oh, why do you want to stay? I was like, well, like, you know, these things are good and whatnot and whatnot. And, like, the money, it's, like, so hard to make a decision, which I just didn't think of myself at all as, like, a person who cared about money, really. And she asked me the most, like, um, pointed question at the end of that. She said, do you think if um, being a Howie paid the same amount as being a teacher, you would do it? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm making a life decision based on, like, how much I was like, oh, that's a no-brainer. I was like, yes, I've like really started enjoying this job. But I was like, I would way rather every day choose to te- like talk to people about Jesus and convince people that he is like the best news ever and read the Bible with people so they would know him than teaching kids how to like do maths or do friendship or write stories. I was like, oh, my gosh, how did I get to this point where I even like was willing to toss that up that I think that was a big that was a big heart wrestle for me and then all my questions to Patty was like well like how you know how do I make this massive decision um to like leave this security that this job had started to give me to like do ministry which now I know I actually really really want to do but it just felt like a mass, a bigger risk then than it had felt when we'd kind of toyed it around the year before even and before that. So, Anna, you really helpfully mentioned how you have spent a lot of time teaching and you sort of found it hard, but you sort of sought to overcome that. One thing I really find interesting is that we always sort of seem to encourage people who are aspiring to go into ministry to do some work in the real world. And I think there is a lot of merit in that. It, it seems to really help, right, to go out there, be in the workforce, do that before you go into ministry. But I hear this story like yours so often, just people going into the workforce and sort of wanting to stay on that track. So wanting to stay on the track of being a teacher or wanting to be an engineer and just getting more money. And it makes me wonder, like I do see the merit in in working straight away according to our degree. Mm. But also I wonder, well, did you ever think, why don't I just go straight into what I wanted to do with regards to ministry or did you think, you know what, it was still a necessary thing to overcome this, this temptation of staying in teaching. And mind you, if you, you would have been a great teacher and that would have been a free option, right, for you. But do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a really insightful question. And I think and for me, I actually didn't want to go into ministry straight away. I did really want to be a teacher because mm. I'd done this whole degree, like it's four years of my life and I was like, oh, I want to actually put that into practice. And so I wasn't like, oh, I just want to finish. I just want to go into the workplace with the end goal of going into ministry. Patty had proposed this plan, but I don't know if I was even really convinced on that plan at that first early stage. 
But I think <laughs> I know. Um, but I think Patty laughing as he <laughs> as he reminisced over right. his plan. Oh, I think it, uh, look, I think it was a good plan, right? It was a good plan yeah. under, under God. He just kind of it's it's been brought to fruition, so it's great. Like praise God for that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it's actually like I actually really back the plan now in hindsight. And I think I didn't even really understand. And I think then when I had that decision to make of, oh my gosh, I could do one job where I teach kids, or and offers me a lot of worldly security. Or I could do another job where I almost, where I don't have much worldly security, but I get to teach, talk to people about Jesus. And I was like, that's amazing. Like what, like what a non-decision that was for me at the time. But I think then being a Howie and working alongside other people who had gone straight from uni to being a Howie, I was like, whoa, actually God in his kindness actually really, really helped me in my job as a Howie by being a teacher first. I think the benefits now that I like can see in hindsight that I don't know if I would have had the wisdom when I first finished to understand this, but I think the benefits now I can really see is I wasn't comparing ministry and uni, full-time ministry and uni. I was comparing full-time teaching and full-time ministry. And so I was actually really evaluating, can I do ministry as my job, not just, oh, I've been a uni student where it doesn't feel like I had lots of time, but I did have lots of time, to then, oh, now I actually have real responsibilities where I have to be places at certain times. And and I wasn't like an irresponsible uni student. I just feel like there was a bigger step up that I actually had to do a lot of that, getting used to that full-time working step up when I was in a workplace, in a secular place, before I did teaching, before I did ministry. Hmm. Do you want to, uh, Anna, perhaps share with us uh, some of the challenges uh, that it's been for you in these last three years as you've been in full-time paid vocational ministry? Obviously, the first two in an apprenticeship position, but maybe you just want to reflect on one or two challenges. Uh, notwithstanding, obviously, it's been a year of COVID, right? So we'll just take that for granted as a challenge. But, I mean, that might be <laughs> One you'll include. Some of the challenges, perhaps? Yes. I feel like every year has been really different in terms of challenges, and so it's hard to kind of summarise overall. I think one thing, particularly this year, that I've learned is a big thing that I've had to really reflect on is am I really, really genuinely motivated by God's love for me and his love for the kind of Christian students in the EU and his love for the lost on campus. Am I really motivated by that or am I motivated by somebody's asked me to do something or I've got a deadline or, um, you know, there's people relying on me to turn up to something. I think that has been a really good thing to wrestle with in ministry. And I think that's what is different about ministry than like a normal job is that like, in ministry, your whole, and this is actually true, that's not a fair thing to say, in a normal job, your faith is fully intertwined. But I think in ministry, you do really, like, question your faith all the time as you're going of just like, oh, am I really genuine? Am I really authentic? Is this real? Especially encouraging evangelists, because evangelism is, is hard to do. And so when you're like, okay, come on, guys, like, let's like, 
be bold and like share the gospel with people. That's a really big thing to call people to mm. when you're like, oh, am I really doing that myself? I think mm. that authenticity thing is a real challenge that I found mm. over the last three years. And are there particular ways that you sort of navigated that challenge? And perhaps if you like, um, did you come to a sort of a, a position of... Um, not necessarily a completely settled position of having navigated that challenge, but how did you sort of resolve that tension over the last year or so? Well, you know, I haven't solved all the world's problems, but I do think that having really good people around me who are in ministry to ask about, I think that's been one of the massive benefits of being a Howie is having a staff team where there's had been people who have had so much ministry experience where I can be like, how do you deal with this, like, this challenge or tension like what do you how do you think about that um and the wisdom that has come from that has been invaluable um but I think another thing is like Jesus hates hypocrisy that I think like part of it is being really good for me being in ministry because I'm like I have to step up my game like it's not like I want to be like actually really sharing my faith really authentically and Mm -hmm. I want to be in the word, listening to God and like spending time with him in prayer and asking for my friends to come to faith. Like that's something I really want to be doing. And so I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in that I've heard lots of wisdom in kind of how to reconcile that and a bit of normal, like normalizing it of just like actually as Christians, we're all hypocrites in one, in some ways. Um, But then also had a real, encouragement of like actually this is a good encouragement for me like this is not just like a challenge that I can just be like "Eh," and move on it's like a real like yeah come on like let's actually do this and live this out what about um some of the joys that you've seen in ministry this year do you want to maybe share a story without oversharing perhaps but do you want to share a joy in ministry that you've experienced such an overshare I have so many joys I think I, being a Howie, I think talking to students that were a lot younger than me, that were so mature in their faith, that were willing to take risks and trust God in ways that I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and I think as this year, I think the encouragement has been um, just getting to see evangelism happen. Like I think that's been encouraged, so encouraging to me. Every week we've kind of um, tried to create little groups where we've met up and prayed for our non-Christian friends. And I think the biggest joy to me has been seeing prayers work. I think as we've like gathered together and been like, okay, this is my non-Christian friend, this is your non-Christian friend, let's pray for them, let's pray for them, let's pray for them. Then just being like next week gathering together and being like, how are they? Like what's been happening? And then getting to hear like, oh, like, They said yes to reading the Bible with me or like we had this conversation about like the social dilemma and then how that related to Jesus and like there were so many kind of little joy moments in that and I think it's amazing to work in a job where you get to have little joy moments along the way. I think being a Howie is also seeing people coming to faith. I think there's like nothing parallel to that that I hope like every student at uni who's a Christian gets to experience walking alongside with them and then seeing someone come to faith because when you see God work like that and so often you really do realize how little you contributed I just think there's massive amounts of joy that you see you get to experience when you get to work a job 
where you get to see people come to have a real relationship with Jesus. So I think that's been a big highlight as well. Anna, this podcast is for people who are wanting to potentially go into ministry at some point. What advice or concluding tips or pieces of wisdom would you give to someone who's listening thinking, I think I want to go into ministry like yourself? What what would you say to them? I think I felt it was a massive risk when I decided to make the kind of jump going from teaching to being a Howie and then kind of staying and working with EU and now thinking about doing it for a lifetime. Uh, But I just think my biggest kind of, I don't know if it's advice, but my biggest kind of encouragement to them is it's like it's so worth it. Like, and there's even today, like we got to spend time with the staff team. There's so many different people with such a diversity of personalities and gifts that it's amazing just seeing how God uses those and brings them, brings them out in whatever ministry. And I just think I love it. Like it's so fun that I just think so often I'm like, wow, I can't believe I get to do this as a job that's like crazy that all of the kind of things I was afraid of before thinking about ministry I'm like no brainer like such it's such a game changer being in ministry and then loving it and enjoying it and so I think Mm -hmm. part of my advice is like really try it and know that the things that you're afraid of almost disappear when you start like some things you're like oh yeah I'm still afraid of those things that's still real but then I think there's like there's real joy that outweighs those fears when you try it. And so I think being a Howie, it's like such a low risk. I'm such a risk averse person in some ways. In some ways I'm like, oh, I didn't expect to be that brave and here we go. But I think being a Howie is like such a safe way of like, okay, you've got a two-year thing. You're not committing for a lifetime. You're like getting to test out the waters. People are speaking into your experience. You're supported that I think like that was like such a thing. So I think like try it and see and feel the kind of joy that comes from it. And then with that might help overcome some of those like fears about jumping on board. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for being on the podcast. You've shared such amazing insights with us and we're honestly so thankful for all that you have done for the eu you've done a lot this isn't just a podcast for people who are from the eu but undoubtedly we just want to say that just while you're here you've been such a great impact on me and patty shaw as well i'm sure as well so thank you and what's next for anna beaver in terms of ministry because you are undergoing a bit of a change aren't you yeah Yeah, absolutely. I am like so sad because I've like done farewells for the EU all too often that I'm now like, oh my gosh, this is actually like saying goodbye for now that I'm like, whoa, this is like huge that I'm like so, so sad to leave, especially working with the evangelism team. It's been the biggest joy. And so I'll finish up at the end of this year. So a few more weeks to go. And then next year, studying full-time at college and we're going to do some student ministry at a cross-cultural church. We're thinking about doing overseas mission in the future and so really just feel like we need experience doing ministry with lots of different people, different cultures. And I've really, I've been really grateful for that experience being a Howie Um, and my husband James is like keen to do that in a church context and so we're going to give that a whirl while we're studying full-time. Fantastic. Well, Anna, thanks for joining us today. Really, really appreciate your time. 
And um, yeah, maybe uh, sometime in the future when you get settled in whatever ministry position you're in, we might get you back again and hear about maybe your experience of the value of perhaps theological education in preparing you for ministry. So we've just finished our conversation with Anna Beaver, which I thought was a really great conversation, really enjoyed it. Paddy, any reflections that you had in light of our conversation with Anna? Yeah, I just thought it was just so fun talking about it. And I must admit, um, I did feel a little bit self-conscious because I got quite a large mention in her story. Um, I mean, I'm really thankful. Yeah, I'm really thankful to God for the way in which he's worked in and through her and her husband, James, as they make decisions together. I I think, I guess, without being um, sort of too, um, sort of being a little bit self-conscious about it, I guess the thing that struck me about Anna was she was willing to keep talking and listening to the advice that I was Mm. giving her as someone who was more experienced in ministry. Mm. And I think the other thing would be that um, I knew she was also talking to other people. So Mm. I wasn't so self-conscious that I felt I had to be the only voice. In fact, I encouraged her to go and speak to other sort of wiser, older people who knew her well, who saw her in church, to keep thinking through and making those decisions about ministry. I think that was something that particularly struck me out of her narrative. It's a really helpful thing, isn't it, to have a wiser, older mentor who you can talk to. And it is a little bit countercultural in that it seems that our generation, we sort of want to do things our own way. And we're, we're a little bit suspicious of leaders, and yet there's such wisdom we can get from people older than us. So I'm just, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it, that why don't more young people actually tap into old people they have in their churches? I guess it's also that question of who to talk to at their church. Yeah, I think there's a couple... Yeah, there's a couple of things to say there. The first is I think there's, as we talked about in our very first introduction, I think there's a good biblical reminder of um, considering not only the wisdom but also the direction of those who are older than you. Mm. I think it's a good biblical principle that we all do well to uphold. Um, Even people later in years need to keep obeying those who are older than them. And so I think that's the first thing to just um, reflect on. I think the second thing is sometimes even within generations, and, you know, I know this myself a little bit, that sometimes I think we think, well, if I'm in my generation, why would anyone know anything about my generation if you're not in it? And I do think working with the Gen Z and to some extent Gen Y, there's a little bit of a sense that mm-hmm. says, well, you didn't experience, you're not currently experiencing this. How would you know what it's like? So Which I think is a little bit silly, biblical... isn't it? It's a little bit. Yeah. Right? Like... <laughs> we sure don't need to get over ourselves. <laughs> well, I think we all do at times. <laughs> but I think what it's partly tapping into is there's a biblical imperative to um uh, be obedient to our leaders who mm. we've voluntarily placed ourselves under their authority. Particularly, I'm thinking, you know, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, but I think there's also this broader category of biblical wisdom that actually many people in our Christian communities, both those who have aspired to ministry and those who are not in any form of recognised or, if you like, paid vocational ministry as a gospel worker, but there are lots of people in our congregations, elders, those who have had lots of wisdom and experience who can actually speak biblical wisdom into our lives mm. and our decision-making. Mm. So I think it's a case of balancing those two things and realising that they're both, I think, good, valid sources of both biblical truth and biblical wisdom. I'm certainly blessed in that I feel like I've got a couple of really strong mentors. Patty, I would consider you one of those, obviously. But I feel as though for some people, they just don't know where to go to find that person. Do you think our church is... Yeah enable that to happen enough or do we need to be a bit more intentional and actually creating some structures for people to find people to mentor them into ministry? 
Gee, it's a, we could almost do a whole episode on that. Maybe that's for, maybe that's for season two. That, that might help us sort of unlock some of the challenges with recruiting people into ministry and getting people to think well about ministry. And we, we should actually make a note of that, put that down for season two. I, th- I, think, I think, Aaron, really, I appreciate the fact that you, you know, consider me one of your mentors, but I think across the range of churches, it varies church to church. My observation, as I've talked with people from a range of churches, would be is that those who are really keen on helping people aspire to ministry in their own local context create this environment of enabling elders to speak to younger people mm. and legitimising younger people to go and search out sort of older, wiser mentors. Mm. Whereas I think sometimes in other churches where that's not really a culture of raising up that next generation, I think there will be some people who might be in their sort of late teens through into their 20s who really find it difficult to try and connect with someone who will then speak wisdom into their life about ministry. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a challenge for some of our churches, but I think there are some churches that do a really good job of it. So I think it's a bit varied across the church scene in Sydney particularly. It's such a beautiful thing, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, in that one of the reasons why we decided to do a podcast with you and me, bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons was we actually wanted to model that right to others, the fact that I'm someone who is aspiring to go into ministry, you're already in ministry, and so through our partnership, we actually want to model that to others, which I think is a really cool thing to do. Yeah. Another thing that Anna brought Absolutely. up, which I thought was really interesting, was the role of work before yeah. going into ministry. It's one of those topics yeah. I struggle with because I feel like in other careers, there's a very linear progression. Like if you want to be a teacher, you yeah. study teaching, then you go, and you go do some teaching with ministry. It's sort of like, okay, have that ambition, but actually can you go yeah. off track a bit before you get there yeah. to grow off a bit? Yeah. So I really struggle with that because I wondered how do you – how do you keep the fire, the passion to, to go on that yeah. ministry path um, yeah. without losing it? Yeah I, yeah, I think there's a sense in which at one point, just to use your illustration of a linear progression, for many people who move into recognised, if you like, paid or vocational gospel work, there is a bit of a linear path which um, invariably should and often does involve some sort of formal theological training before some sort of public recognition, like a commissioning or ordination or sort of recognition within the church life, which I think then is the point at which the person has then been accepted and recognised as a gospel worker. Right. So it still is a little bit linear. Yeah, Yeah. there is. But I do think for people to get to that point of actually committing to that formal theological training, it can be sort of many and varied. So, um, you know, if if we had time, I, I could tell stories of people who, finish their degree of university, we're heading on a linear path as, say, an economist or business analyst, just as a people pop into their head, people who pop into my mind. And then at some point they decide that they want to aspire into ministry and so they give up all of that and then the next year enrol in a theological college. Mm. And somehow there's an assumption that college is really the only, if you like, valid preparation for ministry in a formal sense. And I think college is really important and very central, but I think there's a whole lot of other character formation that needs to go along with it. And I think this is the thing that we find, I think, particularly in people sort of your age, and I know as we've talked about it, it's come up in our conversation. Mm. How do I how do I know when? <laughs> and I, I think biblically there's this sense in which, well, uh, 1 Timothy 3, among other passages, it's actually forming character. Mm. And some people, their character forms more quickly than others and through various life experiences. Mm. And so I think there is some value in a number of generally a number of people doing some form of work other than in paid ministry work, teacher, um, you know, business analyst, 
doctor, whatever it's going to be, right, um, working in an office, doing administrative work, whatever it's going to be. Because one of the things that work does, and even in ministry, but particularly jobs that are not in gospel work, work forms character. It shows us the areas of godliness that we need to grow in. It mm. uh, helps us realise that we need to grow in certain areas of Christian character. And that's why work is really formative. Um, yeah. Character is such a huge topic, isn't it? And we could do a whole episode on that, right? Yeah. And I totally agree with you. I see the importance of that more than any other thing. Every Almost, almost more and more I'm realising the importance of character as I see different things happening in the world and different leaders falling from their positions and just see how it's so yeah. important. But I don't, I, I, yeah. is there a way, to, though, to get character formation through studying and through working before your theological degree? Because I, I get what you're saying, like in work you grow as a person, but is there a way to grow yeah. before that? Because I feel as though I've, I've been growing over the past few years, even though I'm not in full-time Absolutely. work. Yeah, well, even though I know I've got say. a lot to grow in, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the first thing to say is we know um, from various passages of scripture that character is formed by engaging with God in His Word, and as the Word through the work of the Spirit speaks to our heart, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the areas of our life that are not lived in accordance with God's um, faithful and trustworthy Word. So that itself is the means by which the Christian character is shaped and formed. But remember, um, you know, we've not been created to just live in relationship purely with God. We live in relationship with God, but we, we, we live in relationship with the rest of the creation. And so one of the things, interestingly, that work does is it, in a sense, um, enables us to be in relationship with other people. And that's often where our character traits manifest themselves. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that even going back to the 1 Timothy 3, where is the character often most clearly seen? It's in the household unit. Mm. That's where we often feel safest and most trusted and that's where we often feel most vulnerable and that's where both our good and maybe our sinful character traits can come to the front. So I'd say, look, character is formed by living life in God's world, actually. And for some people, work really sharpens and, and, and fires up various good but not so good areas of character as well. Amen. But is it possible that it's 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 possible to grow in that before full time work? I'm not saying you're gonna be perfect because I look at Australia and I, I see that work is there's such an emphasis on that right before theological yeah. education. But then when you look at say the yeah, states right. or yep. other parts of the world, it, yep. it, it seems though some people do go into ministry straight away, which has its pros and cons. I'm not necessarily advocating yep, for it, right. but if I look at some people it, it, as well in church history. Like some big dogs, they sort of go straight in. Maybe that they're a different it's, culture, it's a, right? Spurgeon is preaching as like a seventeen-year-old kid. Maybe it's you know, yeah. a different day and age, right? But I wonder, as Seems we look like at the fact that there's been less people enrolling in theological education, I just wonder if the fact that we've said to people, you, you have to every single time you got to work, is that losing some people? Sure. Yeah. Look, my, I mean, my advice in as I talk to people about considering ministry and in my role in selecting potential ministry apprentices is it's not mandatory that people must have worked before being engaged in formal ministry, right? What, what I'm trying to discern and what others are trying to discern is where is their character at? And tell me a little bit about the aspects of life that have shaped and formed mm. you. So I think some people, let's just pick on males, partly because we're both male, right? Uh, some <laughs> males, yep. some males can actually be quite mature at 19 because of their 
life experiences because of their family background, because of the ministry experiences they've been given, whereas some other males won't reach a similar level of maturity until maybe their mid to late 20s Mm. again, given their family background, their upbringing, the areas in which they've chosen or not chosen to grow and work on their character. And so in a sense for the 19-year-old who seems to, through God's gracious work in, in their life, has formed his character more significantly, more quickly, you may encourage them into ministry in a formal sense more quickly than the 25-year-old who you need to say, well, actually, you need to go and do some more work. So it's going to be four or five or six years. So I think that's a really sort of key thing. I think the other thing that's worth saying is I remember giving some advice to someone who'd worked in computing who was very keen to go and do ministry. And I said, look, ministry is all about being with people. Mm. So I said, I think you need to learn some more people skills. Mm. You just need to learn to have a conversation with people, right? This was a very sort of shy, introverted person, quite highly intelligent. Mm. And I just said, go and get a job for a couple of years and try and don't just work at tech support, working on the help desk, you know, on on a chat and work in a team with people, right? Mm. Test how do you cope with like, so there's little things like that that would also be very helpful for people as well. A concluding thought before we wrap up our reflection, because I'm mindful of the time, but is it perhaps helpful to therefore encourage people to go in the workforce but spend less time than they are currently are is that a problem that we're saying to people just go out there for you know five to ten years but then that's too long so by that point they're just ministries on the back burner after five years we, do we need to say to people look go into the workforce but make sure yeah. you got it you, your plans in motion to go into college after that yeah, look, two things to say. Um, first thing is I think having a, a good mentor will really help because the mentor keeps some accountability for the plans that you're making. So I think that's a really helpful thing. Mm. I think the second thing is um, for some people having sort of a bit of a plan for the next three to five years, um, sometimes holding it a little bit loosely, but having a bit of a plan. So a particular guy I'm mentoring at the moment um, who came through the campus work and would be very keen to come back and do an apprenticeship with us And I think doing an apprenticeship before formal theological training is just all sorts of wonderful that we can talk about in another episode. (laughs) Most definitely. Um, But but I've said to this guy, I said, so what's your plan? He said, I'm going to work for three years and then I'd love to come back and do an apprenticeship. I said, okay, I will hold you to that plan. Are you happy with that? And he said, yes. So when he left Sydney to go and um, move to go and work rurally, I said to him some advice. I said, look, when you land in this particular place that you're going to, When people, as you join a new church, they say, well, how long are you here for? Be honest and say to them, I'm only here for three years. Mm. That's not being rude. That's just being clear. And what's happening is you're creating a really helpful, which he'd self-imposed. I've not told him it had to be three years. That was the decision he came to. I'm holding him to that. But what he's doing is he's building some accountability Mm. for the commitment that he'd like to make. Now, halfway through that sort of second year, will he actually be ready? Well, we do have to wait and see, right? There might be areas of character where an extra year of work might be suitable for him. Mm. There may be some things where halfway through his first year out, actually, he goes, you know what, actually, I think I could leave after two years and then come and do the apprenticeship a year earlier. But at least he's got some sort of plan that as an older, wiser person, I can have some accountability around. So I think those two things would be really helpful. I really like that. Paddy, it's been great reflecting on Anna's story. It was really encouraging, and I hope it was encouraging for you too, our listeners. Thanks for listening to the Aspire podcast. Next week, we have David Fell, a former youth minister and now chaplain to Norfolk Island in Ireland off Australia. See you then.